Son of the living God, to be the glory forever. Amen. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in a secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. of the church in order to prepare ourselves for the great holy fast. So on the Sunday before the fast, the, sun, the fast starts tomorrow, we'll always read this same passage. And the same passage, this passage is talking about the pillars of spiritual life, which are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And that should be the bedrock of any fast that we partake in, prayers, fasting, and almsgiving. 
But in addition to that, there is a special focus uh, during the, the, the great fast about, or the, even like the gospel response that we have for every day in, uh, in Lent, in the Holy Fast, is the Our Father prayer. And the part of the Our Father that I want to focus on is important for us to focus on in the fast, is when our Lord Jesus Christ says, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And you can see even that's the focus of our Mother of the Church because in the reading from Matins, St. Peter is asking Christ, How often should I forgive? How many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And our Lord Jesus Christ answered him. Well, he said, should I do it seven times? And he said, no, not seven, 70 times seven. By saying 70 times seven, our Lord Jesus Christ is telling St. Peter to keep forgiving and not even to keep track about how often I'm forgiving. And he goes on actually later in the passage that we didn't read in Matins to explain and to how God expects for us to extend forgiveness to others. And he, and he gives them the par a parable. He says that there is the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he found a servant who owed 10,000 talents and brought him to him. And because he couldn't pay, he forgave him. But then later when he let him out, he went and found a fellow servant that owed him 100 denarii. And he, the, that servant who was forgiven told him, I'm not going to let you go until you pay me. And he brought him to the judges and all this kind of stuff. And when the other servants around everybody who saw what happened, they went back to the master, back to the king. And he said, you wicked servant, I forgave or canceled all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had the same mercy on your fellow servant? And because of that, he sent him, that wicked servant, into jail to be tortured until he could pay back everything that he owed. So when our Lord Jesus Christ says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, or forgive our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us, he's using here in this parable like a monetary analogy, talking about debt. In the parable, the servant owes 10,000 talents. In those days, a day's wage is a denarius. Okay? One denarius is, is a day's wage. 6,000 denarii make up a talent. So 10,000 talents means 60 million days of work. Okay, 60 million days of work. Our Lord Jesus Christ is trying to make it an insanely high amount of money to make a point that the debt could have never been repaid in this man's entire life. And during Roman times, people who owed debts, they were thrown into prison until their family could pay it off. So essentially he was going to be in prison forever. But the servant begs the king to be patient and he takes pity on him and forgives him. Obviously in this context it's not supposed to be about business practices, right? Our Lord Jesus Christ is using this analogy to help us to understand our relationship with God. This passage tells us a number of things that uh, are particular about forgiveness that I want us to focus on today and I want to focus, us to focus on during the Holy Fast. First of all, the great moral debt that we owe. If you think about the commands, you know, think about the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, you know, it was said of you long ago, do not murder, and anybody who murders is going to be subject to, to judgment. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with their brother, 
is subject to judgment, or anyone who calls them a name, will be in danger of fire of hell. Or in the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about, it was told to you not to commit adultery. But I say to you, even anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in your heart. Or also in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Or in the Epistle of St. James, if you keep the law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point is guilty of breaking all. So like in judgment day, there's not going to be a weighing of scales to see if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Actually, this is not a biblical concept. According to the, to the, to the gospel, we owe a debt that we couldn't repay. That's the first part. And secondly, what is, the, what is the punishment we deserve for this debt? God is perfect and there is no sin that will enter into heaven. In Romans, very famous passage that I'm sure all of you are aware of, says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In Revelation chapter 21, he says, nothing impure will ever enter. He's talking about heaven. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the bar is set at where? Perfection. And I want to say a point. Maybe you don't believe in sin. Maybe you don't believe the things that you're doing are wrong. But I want to give you another analogy. What if you killed somebody, but you don't feel guilty about it? What if you stole something from the store, but you don't feel guilty about it? Does the lack of your guilt make you any less guilty? No. Is the policeman or the judge going to be like, well, you didn't feel bad about it, so there's no need to punish you? Of course not. The law is objective, not subjective. Sin is transgression of God's law. God is the judge and he will judge according to his perfect standard. So then the third part is our inability to repay this debt. St. Paul says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Saying the law can't make me righteous. All it can do is make me aware that I'm messing up. And then finally, we are aware of the King of Kings' merciful cancellation of our debt. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians. In St. Paul in the Roman, book of Romans, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So God offers us an opportunity for forgiveness of sins through our Lord Jesus Christ's perfect life and sacrificial death on the cross in our place. Our debt been canceled by the King. Right? What is, what is the, the, the Holy Lent, uh, the, the, the great fast journey leading us to? Holy Week and the cross. In that context, our Lord Jesus Christ tells us to pray to the Father, forgive us our trespasses, or forgive us our debts. We don't come and say, look at my good deeds and treat me accordingly. Even in liturgy, we say, according to your mercy, O Lord, and not according to our sins. 
And you might ask yourself, okay, fine. Christ was crucified for us and canceled this debt for us once and for all. Why do I need to keep asking for forgiveness? It's because sin distances us from God. When we sin, we turn our backs on Him to be our own God. To follow our own will. And so forgiveness and repentance has to be a regular part of my prayer. So that I can be restored to a right relationship with Him. It's no different than like a, the relationship of a parent and a child. As a parent, I'm not going to cast my child out of my family. But when they sin, when they disobey, when they rebel against their father or their mother, they break the peace of the relationship. And there's need for confession, for repentance, for forgiveness, so that a right relationship can be restored. St. John tells us, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we ask God, when we pray our Father, forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, because of Christ's death, cancel our debt. Because of your mercy, restore us to a right relationship with you. Purify our hearts from all unrighteousness. Now what about the second part of the prayer? Forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. For some of you, maybe you think this is not an issue. Maybe I have not experienced abuse or betrayal or pain to the point where it might be hard to forgive. Or maybe just by nature you are an easygoing person who is quick to let go of offenses. But I would imagine for many of us, for most of us, there is someone that comes to my mind when I pray this prayer. Someone I have a hard time forgiving. Like the servant in the parable, you hold others' debts against them. And for those people, actually even listening to a sermon on forgiveness is difficult. It makes me uncomfortable, it makes me kind of uneasy in my chair. So what does it mean to forgive and how do I go about forgiving? First thing is, I decide to cancel the debt. When someone sins against me, there's a debt created, just like there was for the king. Someone needs to bear this cost. Someone needs to pay. You have two options. First choice, make the offender pay to eliminate the debt. That's our natural response. Sometimes our natural response to have the debtor pay his debt is aggressive. Abuse, gossip, slander. Sometimes it's passive aggressive. Cold shoulder, withdrawing friendship. And maybe that works over time. That is lessened. You no longer feel the need for revenge. But more than likely, what will happen is in that process of making them pay, you are going to become twisted into a more bitter and spiteful person. Or what happens is that revenge becomes a back and forth cycle. They hurt you, you hurt them, then they hurt you back and you hurt them worse. Choice, second choice is to forgive, to pay down the debt, to essentially choose to suffer twice. Once by the initial injury, and then again by accepting the pain and choosing not to punish the other person for their sin. It's a process, but that process actually begins with a decision. What I'm doing is not working. I felt the fullness of my anger. I'm deciding to forgive. To bear that debt myself, instead of forcing them to pay. 
What does it mean to forgive? First of all, I want to say, what does it not mean? Forgiveness is not condoning or excusing, putting up with abuse, suffering and silence, convincing ourselves we deserve that sort of behavior. It's not just accepting or saying it was okay. Forgiveness also isn't even forgetting. We, we, we cannot make ourselves forget, but forgiving will change the way we remember the past. Forgiveness actually also doesn't mean dropping consequences. There might be consequences for the person and their actions. Forgiveness also doesn't just mean calming down, not just ceasing to be angry. And also, by the way, forgiveness even does not necessarily mean reconciliation. So reconciliation can't happen without forgiveness, of course. But forgiving someone does not require getting back together with them and rebuilding that relationship unless the person also wants to do that. Right? St. Paul says, as much as you are able, live peaceably with all men. But he recognizes, I can try to be peaceable with someone, but if they're not peaceable with me, we cannot be peaceful together. It's, a, it's also not just one step, it's a process. Maybe today, you can decide, I'm going to forgive. That does not mean necessarily I will have the fullness of forgiveness in my heart from day one. The question sometimes people ask, and I, and I would love to talk about for a minute is, should we forgive someone who does not repent or does not apologize to me? What if, for example, someone did something to me and God forbid they passed away and they're never going to apologize to me? Actually, I can still forgive. But actually that forgiveness is not received by God until there is repentance. So my, me, the one who was wronged, if I imitate the forgiving God by forgiving, I gain for myself a blessing whether the offender repents or not. The forgiver, the person who's forgiver is forgiving, is not conditioned by repentance. But the offender's being forgiven is conditioned by repentance. Without repentance, the forgiver will keep forgiving. I can keep forgiving to my own blessing. But the offender remains unforgiven. They're untouched by this forgiveness because they refuse to be forgiven. Because they refuse to repent. So forgiveness is choosing to treat my offender as God treated me. To pay down the debt myself and to let it go for free. So what does forgiveness look like? I want to give a few examples. First, I'm not going to dwell on the incident. I'm not going to rehash the past. I'm not to keep focus on something someone did to me. So I make a decision within myself. I will not bring this up again. I have forgiven it. I will not bring this incident and use it against you. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, very famous verse, or very famous chapter about love, 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no records of wrongs. How far are we away from this? How many times we reminded somebody of something they did wrong to us when we're in the middle of an argument? How many times we said to them, yeah, but last week you did this, and last month you did this, and last year you did this, and you always do that, and you never do this. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So I make the decision, if I'm going to forgive, I'm not going to repeat the thing. I'm not going to bring up the incident and use it against you. 
Imagine if God did this with us. I cried with tears, I repented, I confessed. And he comes to me and says, you can't serve, you can't come to my church, you can't come take communion. Do you remember what you did last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago? God never does that with us. Why do we do that with others? So I make the decision not to bring it up and use it against them. I make the decision not to talk to others about the incident. Don't ruin someone's reputation. Don't make them look bad in front of others. If I truly forgave them, why am I talking about the incident with others? Yesterday we talked about love covers a multitude of sins. I'm not covering sin. I'm actually uncovering sin when I do that. Again, imagine God goes around and says, can you believe what so-and-so did to me? Let me tell you. Let me tell you what he did to me. You know that person in church who sits next to you? Let me tell you what he did to me. God never acts this way. And finally, I will not let the incident stand between me and the person or hinder our personal relationship. What I mean by that is, I am kind to them, I pray for them. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, I know you all know this passage very well. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. To pray for somebody is to wish God's blessing for them. When you pay down the debt yourself, it feels like death. But in the end, it leads to resurrection and rebirth. You're free from pain. Forgiveness is choosing to pay down the debt myself. How should I look at that person that I'm forgiving? I should take pity on them. Take pity on someone to, and seek to understand the offender. Have compassion on them. When our Lord Jesus Christ looked at the multitudes, what did He say? He said He had compassion on them as a, they were as sheep with no shepherd. What happens usually when we are offended? I blow the person's faults out of proportion. He's insensitive. She's a betrayer. He's a lawyer. She's disrespectful. But I'm a complex person, a mixture of good and bad things. That's what I think of myself. I'm a mixture of good and bad things. But that person, they're a jerk. Taking pity is to be moved with compassion. To recognize they're human as well. Sometimes they have bad days too. That they also were sinned against and sinned against you. In order to forgive, I have to be able to see somebody with kindness. It takes on working to understand their story, their complexity. That doesn't mean to condone, but I understand. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when He was about to be crucified, he was crucified with two thieves. And he was crucified with two thieves. And our Lord Jesus Christ was moved to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing to the people who are crucifying him. In the moment of his greatest hurt and his greatest wrong, he was interested in forgiveness. He was moved for concern for their misery, their confusion about crucifying the Son of God. They're confused. Instead of focusing on his own hurt. The second thing, I need to let, let it go. God is going to judge. 
for us, I need to love, to forgive, to for overcome evil with good. We're taking in the Bible study on after Vespers, First Peter. In First Peter chapter 2, he says, What credit is it if you receive or if you suffer for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good, this is commendable before God. And what is his, why does he say that this is commendable before God? St. Peter tells us, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And he continues in chapter 2 verse 23 saying, When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, they made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Our Lord Jesus Christ entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When we are wronged, we need to entrust the person to God who judges justly. This person belongs to you, not me. You deal with them, you take care of them, you judge them, you justify. You are the judge. I trust you to judge wisely. You alone have the proper perspective. You alone have the right to judge. Finally, when we forgive, we have to trust in God as Redeemer. I'm choosing to believe that there is meaning in my suffering. We were talking about that also yesterday in the Bible study. That God can bring good out of the worst things that people do to me. You know the very famous verse, in Romans, all things work for good to those who love God, who have been called according to His purpose. Or the very famous story with Joseph and his brothers. You intended evil for me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is being done to save many lives. Those of you maybe not familiar with the story, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. They treated him terribly. But that was God's way of getting him to be second in charge of an entire country of Egypt. Second only to Pharaoh. And to save the, the, the people of Egypt, not only the people of Egypt, but also his own brothers and his own family from famine. And it wouldn't have happened if they didn't do this evil thing. So God used it for good, even though they meant it for evil. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. My willingness to forgive others has to be a function of my understanding of the debt that was paid for me. I've been forgiven the moral equivalent of 60 million days of work. What obligation am I under now to forgive? May God give us the strength, the perspective that I need, especially during this holy fast, to forgive my debtors, their trespasses, those things that they've sinned, so that I can receive in return forgiveness. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Uh...